it is time to figure out how smart slash dumb we will be later this year. We are going to be predicting what we think is going to happen this season, in particular the NHL awards, players to watch, all that fun stuff. But first, we have some contracts to dissect. Episode It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duba. Uh, Going to be a long episode. Just wanted to quickly rhyme off. If any of you are in fantasy hockey and you keep track of injuries, Patrick Laine out three to four weeks, yep. and Matt Murray of the Leafs out at least four weeks with the uh, an abductor injury, whatever the heck yeah, that yeah. means, groin, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, just uh, for your fantasy owners, uh, just uh, keeping that in mind. Uh, Brett, we are going to be talking about predictions well, and contracts. Well, first off, if you have Patrick Laine and Matt Murray on your fantasy team, first off, you already know. Um, and secondly, it's like, it's kind of expected. Like, uh, I don't think Matt Murray and Patrick Laine have ever played a full season. Uh, so it's like, I guess it's like good that they're. They're starting the year off um, with with their annual injury, and then we'll see if they like you know pick it up maybe. Um, yeah. So so yeah, there was while we were doing the previews, we kind of like we did talk about the McKinnon contract because we just so happened to be talking about the Central that week, and we did talk about the Mackenzie Weger contract because we were talking about the Flames that week. But yeah, there was a couple of other contracts that happened like after we already had talked about them, so. That's that's why we're we're covering all these different contracts that even happened like three weeks ago, um, just so that we we officially have it somewhere in the ether that we talked about them. Um, so yeah, we're gonna start off with uh, Matt Barzal. It's interesting these types of deals because I guess speaking of uh, Uyghur and uh, McKinnon and there's a few other guys that you could say this too, but it's. It's interesting that I feel like there's like more contract extensions this time around than there has been in the past. And maybe it's because like the 2023 free agent class is so big that like they're like, okay, a lot of teams are like, okay, we have to like deal with this now before um, we need to. But if I'm a player, I would, I would just rather like play out the season and then you can get the contract that like you could potentially get a even higher contract than what you had before. Um, so, so that part I'm like a little bit confused, but at the same token, so Matthew Barzal is the guy we're talking about first. Um, he, uh, he gets a 9.1 million, uh, contract for eight years. Um, that's a very good deal, obviously. Um, What's interesting about this deal is, yes, he had a phenomenal rookie year where he won the Calder. Um, he also, like, he had a, you know, he had a decent uh, next season where he had 62 points in 82 games, but um, only 18 goals. Um, he's never been a goal scorer, so I guess it's like you, you like, even his rookie year, he had 22 goals, uh, which is decent, but, like, you kind of expect like those numbers to like even as a playmaker you kind of think like okay maybe he can be uh, even higher than that um 
Then he had 50, uh, 60 points in 68 games his third year, 45 points in 55 games. Um, that's pretty good, obviously. Um, and then last year he he had a um, uh, he had 59 points in 73 games, and that was his worst season ever. Um, so it is like I feel like even though those are like definitely really good numbers. Um, oh, and I should say because he's a center. 42.9 a career and faceoff percentage um which isn't like terrible but it's not great either um so it's like i like i can understand why the islanders do this because this guy is the face of the franchise um and he is like one of their best players i just don't know if he's worth 9.1 million i feel like this could definitely age a lot I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to eat my words when this happens, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like this, this might be too much for him. So if you're looking at Matt Barzell, you also have to take into account um, that um, he is entering the final year of his three-year contract, and he's making t- this year. So if he was to get a qualifying offer from the Islanders, it would be around that $10 million range. So considering they got him at $9.15 million for eight years is, you're right, a bit of a pricey price tag. But, I mean, depending on where the market goes in a couple of years, that could look like a bargain. Right. Um, he also gets a 22-team no-trade list, which, honestly, just call it a 10-team trade list and simplify because there yeah. are 32 teams. But uh, we're just nitpicking at that. It doesn't matter. Uh, no bonuses, performance, or signing either, which is interesting. It's all straight up cash and total salary, and it's nine point one five million across the board. So there's no by twenty thirty thirty one his cap is going down. It's consistently nine point one five million across the board each and every single season of this contract. Which you know, <laughs> Lou Lamorello. Not much you can do to explain that. Uh, what's What's interesting about his year last year? is that, yes, his point total did dip a little bit, um, and by a bit, uh, over an 82-game pace, it was 67 in uh, the uh, in the COVID in 2020-21, and it was 66 last year. But the difference was the plus-minus. He was a plus-15 in 2020-21. Yeah. Last year, he was a minus-15, which is a change of negative 30. Right. Um, which um, which is the big talking point is Barry Trotz wanted to make him into a reliable two-way center. And now the challenge for the New York Islanders is to get the most out of him offensively while also being that two-way center that can also win face-offs. Face-offs is also the problem for Matt Barzell because if you look at his face-off track record in terms of rookie season, here's how it's gone. 42 on the nose, 41.6, 41.6 again, 43.4, 46.3, and now this year so far, I know it's early, 28.6. And it should be noted that the latest line combination has him as the second-line center with uh, Parise and Paul Mary on the wings, Brock Nelson as of the latest lineup card. And again, I know it's early, but he's listed as the number one center. So at some point, you're hoping he turns into a reliable number one center that gets consistent power play time, is getting 70 to 80 points minimum across the board, is your offensive threat, a guy that can, uh, uh, an offensive general that can just 
generate scoring chances galore like he was earlier in his career. And it, it, that's that's going to be a tough act to balance. And hopefully he can do that. They definitely have the pieces around Matt Barzell to potentially make that work. So I'm interested to see more so how it evolves over time and if under the Islanders system he can be as good offensively as they can be without sacrificing too much of the defensive ability. It's a fine line to balance. Not everyone can do it in terms of the offense and defensive sides, yeah. uh, unless you're Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Marcel can funny. find a way, and he's 25 years old, so he's got plenty of time. Yeah, I guess he, he is still young, so he does have that going for him. I guess, the, the, wasn't there like, um, I think there was like a rift between Barzal and um, and Barry Trotz. Uh, it wouldn't the, surprise me if there was. So, it's never been confirmed, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we can there, assume that something was up. There was, uh, I forget if I said it on the show or not, but I remember there was like a road trip where like Barry yeah, Trotz where they couldn't find where Barzal right, right. was. Yeah. Like Barry yeah. Trotz was asked uh, where Matt Barzal was because I guess he was in COVID protocol at the time, and Barry Trotz says, "Yeah, we don't, we can't find Matthew Barzal," and then it just became like a Twitter joke because it's like, where, where in the Matt world? Barzal, yeah, yeah, where in the world is Matt Barzal uh, instead of Carmen Sandiego? Um, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I guess we kind of said a similar type of thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like nine million is a bit rich. I understand he he does provide the offensive side of things, and he was like a big fact, like you know, a big reason when when John Tavares left. You you were thinking like, okay, the Islanders, yeah, they're probably gonna still not be as good, but like it's like at least they have Matt Barzal, and that's a guy that they can build their franchise around, and that's what they ended up doing. Um, so I, I don't hate it. I guess it's just more that, like, now that he's a couple more seasons into the league, he hasn't progressed as much as we thought he would. Um, and, yeah, I guess it's, it's just, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, well, and, and I think you mentioned the superstar town just before we go to yeah. the next one, Brad. I think that's part of the reason why he got what he and he got it a year before right. he was set to become a restricted free agent is – the New York Islanders didn't want this to happen again. They right, didn't want right. to let yeah, another superstar true. slip from their grasp. They couldn't get Fair. Panarin. They couldn't get Kadri. I mean, right. he's not much of a superstar, but a, a yeah. guy they really wanted badly, and he didn't go there. They couldn't keep John Tavares, and there are probably some other examples of guys they yeah, tried to get. And I guess. On and missed. I guess. And the, that's, the, I think that that added to Barcel's leverage. In a Fair, I guess. The only difference, though, well, there's two differences, is for, like, Kadri and Goudreau. Like, those were UFAs. Those were guys that they didn't yeah, have Goudreau before. Yeah, another one, right. Yeah, yeah. But, like, those are, but those are guys that they didn't have before. Um, and it's never, like, I mean, you know how Lou Lamarillo is. It's never been confirmed that they were after these guys. Um, but, um, but as for John Tavares, like, John Tavares was a UFA, and he could go wherever he wanted. Whereas for Barzal, he would be... Um, an RFA, so like they have more team control and they can sign him when, when they, whenever they want, or it's like they don't have to like, they could wait till to sign him because it's like they have more leverage uh, than if he was a UFA. But yeah, I, I guess I can see that point where they just didn't want that whole thing like looming over their heads like it was for John Tavares. But I don't know. I feel like um, I don't know if it's necessarily like what what ended up happening. Um, 
And also, last thing, I guess I mentioned this just when I was announcing this whole thing, was just that, like, if I'm a if I'm a player, like why why sign or like right now? Like I would like wait till like the end of the year because you could potentially like if you believe in yourself that you're you're worth that much money, like you should like you should do what David Pasternak's doing is like you know just like have a career season and then prove that you're you're worth it or what Nazem Kadri ended up doing or because then you're you're gonna because, like, for instance, Nazem Kadri had a career season last year, but if he had signed early on before before his breakout season this year, he wouldn't have gotten nine million at, on, on Calgary. He would have, you know, he would still have gotten a, a fair amount of money, but he wouldn't have gotten nine million of dollars. So for Matthew Berzal, it's like it's just strange, or like whatever these agents are telling these these people to do, it's just it's just strange to be like. Oh yeah, sign sign this deal like at nine point one million. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it's like it is even still like a lot of money for Matthew Barzal. But I don't know. I guess they're like just from a logistics standpoint, like wait till the the end of the year um, because then it, like if he has another great year, which he will, it's like then you can you can pay him what what you want, or you can pay him even more. Maybe he gets ten million. But anyways, yeah. That's, uh, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox there. Um, cause it's like, whatever. Um, so, um, so anyways, uh, speaking of very, very cheap, uh, Jason Robertson is the next guy we're going to talk about. Um, it was kind of funny cause like when we were doing the Dallas stars episode, we were just talking a lot about like, that was pretty much the whole thing was just like, when is Jason Robertson going to be back? This team is going to look very different without Jason Robertson. Please sign because we both have him on our, on our team. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, like he ends up signing, uh, that week, basically, um, 7.75 million, uh, for four years. Uh, he's still in RFA by the end of this, which is incredible. Um, and um yeah when you look at the star well first off i guess i can i can talk about jason robertson's stats here um so last year he had an incredible season he had 79 points in 74 games 41 goals uh his rookie year uh where he had 45 points in 51 games uh he he still looks a little rusty but he did have like a goal and two assists uh yesterday um and then he had like an assist (laughs) the other uh, his first game back uh, so it's like uh, so yeah he still looks incredible even though he hasn't been on the ice in in four months um, so it's just it's just crazy um, and so like from that sense it's like he's this is like the new Pasternak and McKinnon contract where it's like like we're going to be wondering how did he end up how is he worth 7.7 million um for this entire contract, assuming that he continues this pace. Um, because like at this moment, he is arguably one of the best, the, the best left winger, um, in the league right now. And he's only 23 years old. So, uh, they have many years for this. Um, I guess the thing from a Dallas stars perspective, uh, you have Jamie Ben for three more years. You have Tyler Sagan for four more year or sorry, um, five more years. Um, and then you have, um, uh, Miro Heiskanen still uh, long term. That's a lot of money, uh, or eight point four million. Uh, that goes till like um, 
guess 2028, 20, 29. So that's like seven more years of that. Uh, and before uh, you pay Jason Robertson, Jake Ettinger's contract right. will be up. He has a three-year deal. Yeah, that's true too. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, Joe Pavelski's not getting older or not getting younger. Uh, Jamie Bend and Tyler Sagan, I think, still have some left in the tank. Or um, So it's like those guys aren't getting younger. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you have Rupe Hintz to worry about too. Um, I guess yeah. he has, uh, let me look at him. Yeah, he's an RFA this, this coming year. So that'll be interesting to see uh, what he does. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I am curious just to see, like, because I, I would assume, like, yeah, he is an RFA and they have more control, the team control that way. But, like, by the time he gets to that free agency, assuming that he, he is good these four years, it's like he could be making like 10 plus million dollars at that point. So, um, so it's an incredible deal for, for them. And I, I, I don't know how Jim Nill did it really. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, uh, because he gets paid 4.5 million this year, then 8 million in year two, then 9.2 in year three. And then the final year is 9.3. So the qualifying offer, uh, is around the $9.5, $10 million range. Uh, I don't have the exact math, and I'm not even going to bother to check it, but it's going to be a lot of money that the Stars are going to have to pay up by the end of this deal. And I think uh, it's wise for both sides because of the Jamie Benn pact that uh, the Stars are going to have to run out before they can really pay Robertson and Ettinger what they're truly worth. And I think in within the next three to four years, they're going to fully establish exactly what they're worth, and that's why Robertson is best to wait around. Now, he's had 10 shots on goal this year, and only one of them have gone in, but I should remind people, they had this guy named Mason Marchmont, and he scored three times already in two yeah. games. So um, that might explain why Robertson only has one goal. Um, but at the end of the day, four points in two games, I mean, that's, uh, that's a two-point-per-game pace. That probably won't last, but... At the very least, you're looking at a point-of-game player in this offense uh, under Peter DeBoer, who has been known to uh, allow guys to experiment with their offensive capabilities. And under our Rick Bonus system, last year, Jason Robertson had 13 power play goals, 41 goals in all situations across 74 games, and he took 220 shots, which means his shooting percentage was 18.6. And this is a guy in his second season as well, and not even averaging three minutes of power play ice time like, you know, you expect the superstars like Panera and a Barzell to average right. and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And this guy is still a power play threat. And even his ice time, the first two games uh, that Dallas has played, he's averaged 15.46. So his ice time is, a is actually significantly lower uh, than, uh, than it was for the majority of last year. And yet, he's still uh, got four points in two games to start the year. Incredible start for him. Um, and I think in due time, he's going to be one of the best bargains in the National Hockey League as you start to see guys like Pasternak get paid. But of course, then that question presents itself, okay, well, what's his next contract right. going to look like? And it's probably going to be around the $9, 10000000 million range uh, simply because of where the market is headed. Uh, but that's a happy problem for the Dallas Stars to have. And the fact of the matter is they need Jason Robertson to score goals. 
especially when guys like Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan aren't really reliable at scoring goals anymore. And Joe Pavelski is nearing his 40s, so you can't expect him to score those. And Rube Hintz is more of a playmaker than a goal scorer anyway. So um, it goes without saying that he's a key contributor to this offense. Fortunately for Dallas, uh, this wasn't able to drag into the regular season. They were able to get it done uh, still in training camp. And now that he's with the team, uh, he's picking right up where he left off last year. And going back to his rookie season, I remember vividly down the stretch, even though the Stars didn't make the playoffs, they were still in the hunt. And every single game, they needed Jason Robertson to do something. And he did. He was neck and neck with Kaprizov in the rookie of the year voting. And um, I think at some point, I'm going to say before the end of his contract, he'll have a Rocket Richard. He'll have at least one Rocket Richard under his belt. I think yeah. he's that good. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's incredible that, like, even without, like, well, first off, he got, it's it's kind of a shame that he his rookie year was at the same time as Kaprizov because if Kaprizov wasn't, like, a superstar right away, like, I mean, Jason Robertson was also a yeah, superstar would, right away, yeah. too. So it's just like, you know, like Jason Robertson would have won it like going away too. So it's almost like, I mean, I guess it's like, it is a Calder, so who cares? But, um, but yeah, it's like, and you know, everyone thinks that he's good anyways, but it's just, um, but yeah, I could, I could totally see that. I guess the other thing is, is that like, I think a lot of these teams are just expecting like the cap to go up. Um, so, so maybe yeah. in theory that like, went in four years i mean i guess this this could be like more optimistic <laughs> to say that it's not going to be a, like a flat cap forever um so so maybe um so maybe that's just what they're thinking of is like okay so maybe we'll have some more in, an influx of money and we can be able to afford um this uh this new guy so so maybe that has something to do with it we'll, we'll see um Okay, uh, now we have uh, this, uh, now we're going into goalie talk here, um, and what's, what's interesting is, is I'm just looking at, like, cap-friendly signing, signings page, um, and Montreal was pretty busy, was pretty busy these, these fast, past few weeks, um, but, uh, so Jake Allen, who we're going to talk about, but they also signed Owen Beck, Logan Malou, and William Trudeau in like the last uh, like two weeks or in this in this month of October. Um, yeah. So so that's I mean those were all entry level deals. But Jake Allen, um, who we're going to talk about now, uh, he signed a two year extension uh, worth three point eight five million. Um, this this kind of checks out just because it's like clear that Carey Price is no longer going to play uh, for, for Montreal. And, and that's, so Jake Allen is now the, the new starter. Anyway, yeah. That's for certain. He's probably right. not back this year. Yeah. But I, I would, I would be shocked if we never see Carey Price again. Um, but, um, but anyways, at any rate, uh, Jake Allen is there for at least three more years, um, or this year included, um, and, um, yeah, so far he's looked pretty good. Uh, two wins, uh, sorry. Oh, one win. I, I misread this one win and one loss, but he has a 943 save percentage. Um, already I know it's two games, but whatever. Um, 
And, um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess it's like this, yeah, this is definitely a good signing, but I think this is more of a reaction to like, even if Carey Price is, is ready to go next year, it's like, you know, you have some assurance of like, you have Jake Allen in the midst. Um, and yeah, maybe Sam Matabo will eventually become something or Caden Primo will eventually become something. But in this stage of where Montreal is at, it's like, okay, you like, you know, you have this like reliable goalie in Jake Allen. Um, and, and that can definitely help, um, help Montreal just because it's like, you know, even if you are expected to be bad for even this year, it's like, oh, you, you have, um, you know, at least you have like a, an average goaltender um, in your midst um, instead of just like what, whatever Buffalo has or Arizona has basically. Um, but uh, yeah, I, when you say average, I, I kind of, I felt like, is that insulting to Jake Allen? But I guess, I, I guess that is kind of accurate because he career-wise, uh, he has a career nine eleven save percentage and a GAA of two point five nine, so that's that's pretty average, I I would say, um, but that's not uh, that's decent. Um, so yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. What do you what do you have on this? I feel bad for Jake Allen because this is a situation where. I think everyone knows the Habs are not going to be good for at least the next couple of years. They need someone to stop pucks, and they need someone to give the young guys and the minors some time to actually develop. Because they're not throwing Caden Primo into the fire. They'd be, they'd be right. absolutely off, out of their minds to do that. And Jake Allen's going to have the tough job of stopping pucks for the Montreal Canadiens and, uh, you know, doing his best, but at the same time resigned to the fact that probably quite a few of them are going to go in the net and to no fault of its own on most cases. Like, look at the Habs' defense to start the year. Like, their most experienced defenseman yeah. is Joel Edmondson, and he's injured. Like, like what, what is he supposed to do with this young team, with this young defense? Not win a Stanley Cup, that's for sure. And it would be a stretch to say that the Habs are a playoff team, especially in the tough division that they're in. So they need a competitive guy that's going to work his butt off every single night and give his team a chance to win. Jake Allen is the perfect guy for that. And if they thought he was the long-term solution and goal, they probably would assign him to much longer than a two-year term. Yep. But uh, they're giving him an extra two years on top of the one that he's playing on uh, to basically hold the fort, to give them consistent stability between the pipes to buy the young guys some time. And it, it spells bad news for Carey Price if they're keeping Jake Allen around because yep. if I'm Montreal in a position where you have a lot of free agents coming up and you can get some good value, if you're that confident that Carey Price is coming back, Jake Allen is one of those guys that I would trade away simply because you could get some futures for him. And yep. the fact that they chose to extend him is leaving me pretty concerned about the long-term health of Carey Price. And oh. apparently, from what I have heard, uh, I don't know if you saw, Brad, but uh, Carey Price was at the Habs opener, got a spectacular ovation from the crowd at the Bell Center, and it was revealed that at some point this week, he was going to reveal details about his playing future. Now, I don't think that's a case of he's going to retire, but I do think it's going to provide more clarity yeah. that... He's probably not playing this season, and what happens beyond that? So, well, he's um, he's probably just going to outline what happens next. Right, right. Well, he's not going to retire because 
he still has four years left on his contract, so it's like... Not for a lack of trying, either. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's going to do whatever yeah. he can to get back on the ice, and he's... And but... I, it, for, he's not going to call it quits until he realizes, I can't do this. Well, yeah, I don't... I, I When I... I already, like, when I was presenting this this news story to to the masses here, like, I had pretty much assumed that we were never seeing Carey Price again. I, I know it's, like, not The official. old Carey Price is gone. Well, I've, yeah, I've, I've accepted but, that fact. But, but I've even, accepted the fact that he's done, done. Oh, like, I, I, I think, he, I think he's done, done. Um, I mean, really? it was, I mean, it was great that he was able to come back last year. Um, and you know, good that he he won the the Masterton. Um, but yeah, I like he didn't even look that great when he was there. I mean, yes, the Habs are are a bad team, but uh, yeah, he didn't look that great. So I, I, I would be shocked shocked if we ever see Carey Price again um and you know like as I, I think we even mentioned this before because like when we were announcing the news when he was done for this year like you basically had a retirement uh we were talking like he was retired so I I would be shocked shocked if Carey Price I would be willing to bet like we should do a bet where it's like like if Carey Price plays one more game I'll like I'll do something, but I'm I'm not even sure what what that is. But you will buy a Montreal Canadiens reverse retro jersey. That's what you're gonna do if you lose. Sure, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, fuck yeah. it, let's do it. Um, yeah. can it be? I still have to buy my Bergeron jersey, but it's oh yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. But because if... I already lost one. No, no, that will be something that I I won't be proud, but uh, of having. But yes, I will I will do that. Does it does it have to be like? Could it be any player? Any player. Okay. You can put Jacques Plan on the back if you really want. Well, no, no. I was thinking like I, don't care. I was thinking the only Habs player that I'd be okay with getting a jersey of is Cole Caulfield. Um, yeah, but, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> so it's like all right. If I have to do that, then then I'll be fine. But yes, yes. I I I would be shocked if Carey Price um, plays another game. Um, and, and, and you have to wear that jersey to a Bruins Habs game. Uh, I, I feel like that's too far. <laughs> <laughs> that was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. But I, like, I never required, like, I didn't even, like, set a bet for you when you went for that Bergeron jersey thing, bet thing. Yeah, I was even going to put you Tobin on the back of it. I didn't really care. Uh, yeah. But, but we, we met down right. the middle and you suggested Bergeron's like, yeah, oh, I, I think that was the only input I had, but I never like required you to wear it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. I, we didn't make that bet. You're right. Um, okay. Anyways. Um, it was also like a silly thing anyways. Cause I was just like, yeah. cause you were so sure that they were getting OEL and then I was just like, all right, whatever. Like, if we don't get OEL, Went to whatever. the other team that was rumored to be in on him. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. The not like, yeah. Um, anyways. Um, so, going, moving on here. Um, so, uh, the other goalie that got signed that was an extension deal. Um, and actually, Steve, when this happened, Steve and I had, like, an extensive email conversation about this, yeah. this thing. So, I, I assume it's going to be as heated. Um, yep. but well, maybe not as heated, but definitely back and forth. Yeah. yeah, definitely some back and forth here. Um, so, uh, Spencer Knight, he signs a three year deal, uh, worth 4.5 million. 
Um, and yes, of course, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky also has four more years left. Um, so that means that Spencer Knight's going to be an RFA when Bobrovsky is a UFA um, in 2026-27. Um, so, um, so yeah, I guess I guess I'll be able to present my case. Oh, I guess I should say what Spencer Knight has done. Um, he um, last year wasn't great. Uh, 2.79 GAA. His save percentage is 9.08, um, and then his First year, 2.32 GAA and a 9.19 save percentage. Granted, that was only in four games, um, so we'll see. Last year, our, our, he's only played in one game this past, uh, this season. Um, but, uh, yeah, he gave up three goals, a .889 save percentage, but he won that game. Also, granted, it's one game, literally. So, um, so it's, like, not much to take about it, but... Uh, it's worth it's worth sharing because we did it for everyone else um, we talked about um, but yeah it's um, I guess the the, the thing was is that Steve was I guess ultimately what we came down to was like we kind of agreed at the same time uh, because like yeah Spencer Knights like last season wasn't great but like we knew that this was going to happen because what happened was, the Panthers draft in 2019. The Panthers drafted Spencer Knight. Then the following week, when free agency opened up, Sergey Bobrovsky was signed for an eight-year deal worth 10 million. We thought this was insane. It was, it was actually seven because yeah. he was a free agent. Right, right. right. It wasn't yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. So Panthers still, are probably lucky it wasn't eight years. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair point. I mean, he was he was decent last year, but yeah. but the point is, is that we knew. Like, even back then, that this was going to be a thing. Because, like, we knew that this was going to be a problem contract. This was before we even thought that, like, we even saw Bobrovsky play for the Panthers. We knew that this was going to be an issue. Where, like, okay, you have Bobrovsky for seven years. And, yes, goalies take a while to to develop. But if you're going to draft a goalie in the first round... He should be ready around like three years from now. Um, that's just like a trajectory type of thing. And so then it's like, so now it's like, okay, they sign 4.5 million uh, next year. So next, that means that next year, the Panthers have 14.5 million um, for, for their two goalies. Um, and it's the same for the next two after that. Yeah, as well. it's the same for the next two after that. But here's the thing: like we knew that the the Panthers like were gonna mess this up. Like it, it didn't make sense from the from that like standpoint either. Of like, okay, they draft a, a goalie in the first round. You assume that like yes, he's probably not gonna play that that first year, but at least they have a goalie of the future, someone that they can they can develop and, and groom to the future. And then they go out and get like the top goalie as well. And, and sign not only that, but they sign him to like a long-term contract. I don't think anyone would have had a problem if it was like 10 million for, for four years or something like that. But just the fact that they, they sign him for that, it's just like, wait a second, then why did they draft Spencer Knight? Um, so I guess my point is, is that like the Panthers knew what they were doing. Like, 
like they were already going to like screw themselves over just from from that standpoint. Like we knew that the, the Panthers were going to do this. I I I can understand this that. This is a Dale Talon hire. Should be noted. Yeah. Bill Zito had nothing to do with this. this yeah. is still under the Dale Talon. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I guess you do have a point that it is like a different GM, but I still think it's like you know, like even still, it's like you're going to. I don't know. Like we knew that the Panthers would eventually have a situation like this. I I can like you. You're going to say I know that the I haven't let you speak yet, but you're going to say that like yeah, Spencer Knight it, like four point five million is a lot for a backup goalie, which I would agree with. Um, but I don't know. I, I I guess and like not to mention the fact that like next year. Or, like, you know, you have Sam Reinhardt's uh, UFA in two years. You have, uh, uh, let me let me look here. There's a few other ones. That Aaron Eckblad is a UFA in three years. Three so years, yeah. So, before Brodsky's deal ends, you'll have to pay him. Sam Bennett and Verhage are UFAs yep. in three years. Um, that That's going to be interesting. Um, I guess it's not too bad because you do have Barkov and Kachuk for yeah. a long-term things. But like, yeah, Reinhardt, Bennett, Verhage, um, Anton Lindell is going to be an RFA in two years. So it's like, yep. it does kind of screw up your cap situation already. But here's mm-hmm. here's what I'm thinking is that like, you're they're already in cap hell already with yeah. the Bobrovsky contract. Um, yeah. And yeah, Bobrovsky was better his second year than he was his first year. Um but like and you know and the Panthers did end up winning the tr- President's Trophy, so it's like it's kind of like a silly thing because it's like there's nothing to say that they can't do it again. But I don't know. I guess it's just more um, like like the Panthers knew what they were doing when like we knew that the Panthers were going to mess this up somehow um, just by single-handedly drafting Knight and then a week later signing uh, Bobrovsky to a a year long, like a, a long term contract, um, but yeah, I, I guess I guess that's what I'm saying. Is like you sounded so shocked about this this contract that I was just like, wait, we we knew that this was going to happen. I mean, we knew that they were going to have to pick between Spencer Knight and Sergey Bobrovsky, yeah. but this to me confirms that they're already thinking about it and they might do it pretty soon. And now it should be noted, Bobrovsky has a no-move clause that doesn't expire. There, that doesn't expire until July first, twenty twenty-four. And at that point, he submits a sixteen-team no-trade list, which means half the league he can be traded to, the other half he can't. And his cap hit goes down to six point five six million, uh, respectively, for the final two years of his contract. But this year they give him twelve million. Next year they give him ten. And after next year, the no-move ends. So at that point, at, at that point, you're going to have to make a decision because, Brad, of all the things that you just mentioned, all of the death guys that uh, they're going to have to choose from. You have Gustav Forsling and Brandon Montour as UFAs within the next two years. And it should be noted that both of them played huge roles uh, on the Panthers' blue line last year. And you know what? It's probably going to come at the expense of Patrick Hornquist and possibly Racco Gudis. Um, but uh, I mean, those, those losses will be a bit easier to digest 
Um, on terms of the physical play with Gudis, you might miss a bit of that, but um, if it means to keep some of your depth pieces around, I'm sure the Panthers will bite that bullet. The problem with Florida is, as you know, to get Matthew Kachuk, to get Ben Sherratt for a couple months, to get Claude Drew for a couple months, and there are probably some other moves that I've been missing, they've parted with a handful of first-round picks. So they've already mortgaged some of their future to get to this point. And if you're trying to stay on the same level as Tampa Bay or the New York Rangers or the Carolina Hurricanes or over in the West Colorado, and you're having to churn the mill of death players at cheap prices that you think could put up good numbers for you. You can only do that for so long before it bites you. Right. And that's that's the problem that Florida has dug themselves in. That's the hole they've dug themselves in. And unless they get rid of Sergei Bobrovsky's cap space, whether it's through trade or buyout, at some point in time, they're going to have to do that because you need money to get pieces that are not just short-term one-year bargains, that are actual pieces that can help your team for the short-term and the long-term, and also keep the guys like Anton Lindell that, you know, are, are going to be a part of your winning ways, you would hope, for years to come. So yeah. it, it's 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 for that reason why when they give Spencer Knight $4.5 million, there's no way they are going to be committing $14.5 million in cash space to their goalies until Bobrovsky hits the open market. They're picking at some point. And looking at the structure of Bobrovsky's contract, probably the option that makes the most sense in terms of logistics is after the 2023-24 season. But it wouldn't surprise me if they did it at the end of this year. My concern is, is Spencer Knight ready to take hold of this team? Because, yeah, if you pay $4.5 million to Spencer Knight to be your starter, we don't even know if he's a legit starter yet. Right. And you're just giving him $4.5 million, acting like he's going to be the starter at some point. Yeah, yeah. No, that's – yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tr- that, is, that is a fair point. It's that, like, Spencer Knight hasn't been good – Yet, so it's like, yeah, I, I think he could be very good. He was, you know, he's, he was a very good prospect goalie. I, I watched him play at, at BC, but, um, yeah, I, I guess it's just like, you know, goal, you never know with goalies. So so that is a fair yeah. point. Um, and, yeah, the, that's just something to consider for sure. Um, okay. Um, so now there, there was a few other contracts that, we're interesting, but we we don't want to talk about them too much because we have yeah. um, we have award predictions to get to. So uh, yes. oh, I will quickly mention this uh, out here. Um, they're all defensemen that we're going to briefly mention here. Uh, so uh, Nick Hague, who was one of the last RFAs to sign, I think only Alex Formanton is the only holdout now. Uh, but Nick Hague signs a three-year deal, two point two nine million. Uh, per uh, yeah, this is a this is a decent contract. Um, you know, I, I think it, it was interesting too because I remember when Nick Haig was a prospect and we, you saw that uh, Nick Haig like was scoring all these goals and I think in the WHL. Um, 
And then uh, it was the OHL. It was the OHL. OHL yeah. and Mississauga, he was yeah. lighting it up. I think he had like a thirty-five goal season. Yeah, it was one crazy. Of those years. But um, but yeah, he hasn't shown that offensive ability yet. But um, but yeah, even still, like he's he's a decent defensive defenseman for them. Um, and there could be some elements of, of more, but it doesn't appear to be. Um, especially when you have Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo, so I don't think that's going to happen. Um, anyways, uh, then there was a guy that I've never heard of, uh, Matthias Samuelson. Uh, he's a 23-year-old, seven years, uh, seven years, 4.285. This one I don't really understand um, because, um, well, first off, I've never heard of him, but, like, you know, he does have decent stats, um, and it's like, you know, he is a shutdown, or it seems like he's a defensive defenseman. He is the pair of Rasmus Dahlin. Um, so there is something that I can, like, I can understand that. But to sign him for four, uh, for seven years um, is absurd. Like, just the fact that, like, or, like, even if it is, like, a low, like, AAB, um, at 4.2, like, even that's not that low for a defenseman. It's just strange that, like, they still have to sign Rasmus Dahlin. He's an RFA for two more years. And then you have Owen Power for two more years. They're RFAs at the same time. Wow, I didn't realize that. And, like, uh, Henrik, Henry Yokiharu. Um, get this, actually. In two years, the Sabres have five defensemen um, as RFAs and one UFA. And that's Dalene, Lubushkin, Yokiharu, Jacob Bryson, and Owen Power. I mean, of course, like, you know, Dalene and Power are the star studded, and they could probably just lose Lubushkin and Yokiharu. They could probably trade, or uh, Bryson, I don't, you know, you could probably trade him too. But, um, but that, that's like, it's just strange that they, like, they signed this guy to a long term deal. Um, but I, I said we we're going to briefly mention it. I, I don't really understand that. Um, and then lastly, um, I'll, I'll let you talk about all three of these guys in a second. I'm sorry. I know I'm doing this weird. That's not uh, good. Uh, but uh, the last one was uh, Travis Sanheim. Uh, this guy I actually liked a lot. Um, it's uh, he. I, I feel like he's an underrated defenseman. Um, he had uh, I, I think he had an impressive season last year, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, 31 points in 80 games. That's not, I mean, it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, I, guess I mean, a lot of Flyers defensemen didn't have a good year, yeah, so I guess it, it, when you consider it that yeah. way, I guess yeah. it was an alright season. I will admit though that the contract he got is a bit much, but I do like him, yeah. or I can understand why they did it. Um, eight years at 6.25 million. So they must like him a lot in order to do that. Um, he was making four point six million uh, this year in his extension. So, um, so yeah, but like it is a little strange because it's like you have Provorov in two years to sign um, Rissalainen. They should get out of. You have Ant Anthony D'Angelo in two years um, as a UFA, um, and this was also a team that sold uh Shane Ghostespair they willingly gave him to the Coyotes and meanwhile like Ghostespair is like we keep incredible it because it was that bad yeah exactly I mean it's it's not like you know the Arizona Coyotes are worse than the Flyers are but like even still it's just like 
I, I bet you that a billion bucks that they I would bet <laughs> I would do a yeah, similar if he didn't succeed on Arizona why couldn't he succeed in Philly yeah yeah that, that part doesn't make sense to me but anyways at any rate um I will admit that it, it is a, I do like the player but it's um it's a bit much so yeah anything I, uh, on these three guys that I just mentioned yeah, so Nick Hague is, is a good bargain defenseman. I think the untapped potential is still there, and it's up to Vegas to utilize it, and hopefully he gets his big break soon. As you start to see the contracts like Alec Martino's winding down, uh, maybe a spot opens with Brady McNabb as well at some point down the line. Uh, but, you know, for for a guy of, of his stature, um, you know, getting him at that cap hit, I think, is, uh, is a pretty good bargain for Vegas, so... Good, good, good for them. Hopefully, hopefully they uh, continue to hand out reasonable contracts uh, yep. moving forward, um, because you know that that is proof costly when they don't. Uh, in terms of Matias Samuelson, this is a long-term bargain, a Tage Thompson type of bargain. Some might argue, but consider this: Rasmus Dahlin had a rough start to the last year, and then the second half he got going. And in the fourth quarter of last year, the final 20 or 25 games that he played, he was playing some of the best offensive hockey of his career. Who was his most common defense partner? Matias Samuelson, who, by the way, is American, not Swedish or Finnish. He is American. He is from New Jersey, born in New Jersey. So just throwing that out there for anyone who's curious. I believe he's uh, 22 years old, if I uh, remember correct. Yeah, Yeah, currently 22, 23 in March, yeah. Uh, if you look at the eye test in terms of offense, uh, went to Western Michigan University for a couple of years, looked pretty decent there. Then he uh, turns pro with Buffalo. His first 12 games, he has two assists, which isn't bad. Last year, he had 10 assists in 42 games. Again, considering where Buffalo was and uh, what their defense was, that's what I would call that pretty good stat line. And in the AHL, over two stints, he had uh, 13 points in 23 games in 2020-21 and two goals, 15 points in 22 games last year. Now, mind you, the plus-minus wasn't that terrific, but that's something can be improved upon, as as I said before. 22 years old, lots of time to figure things out. Uh, so far, pointless in two games this year, but uh, all things considered, if he is able to replicate what he did in the fourth quarter with Rasmus Dahlin and basically make that a common theme and do it consistently, you're looking at the contracts that Owen Power could get and Rasmus Dahlin could get. It will be good if this guy lives up to his contract as a solid top four shutdown defenseman. And now, Buffalo, you're knowing that for the next five to seven years after you pay Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin, if this guy is as good as advertised, you know that you have a solid top four shutdown defenseman that is under contract for multiple years at a time. So that's that's good to know. Of course, that is under the assumption that it works out. And we don't know if it's going to work out with Tage Thompson. We don't know if it's going to work out with Samuelson. But I can understand the reasoning as to why Buffalo was doing this so soon, especially if he takes off and potentially uh, could make – more than that, but I, 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 I'm willing to give it a shot. Travis Sanheim is interesting because they have given him some no-trade protection, um, and they've committed a lot of money, more money than uh, Samuelson got with Buffalo, $6.25 million cap it. So that's Matias Ekholm money, if I'm not mistaken. 
It's for eight years. He has one year left on this deal. And it's interesting because we, at this point, kind of know for the most part what Travis Sanheim is. And you're a couple of games into the Tortorella tenure. You're not really sure what your team is like, uh, even though they've won their first two games. I, I don't have that much faith in the Flyers right now. I need to see more before I really judge if they're back or not. And I'm not really sure how I judge Travis Sanheim under the Tortorella regime, unless Tortorella is pretty confident that he can be that top four steady presence. It's just a bit of a risk because you've committed all that money to Rasmus Ristolainen, and you committed this money to Sean Couturier. You have Brian Ellis under contract. Now you have Travis Sanheim under contract. And all of a sudden, if in fact in within the next year or so, you do end up doing a significant retool or even a rebuild, well, now you've got term and money tied to Sanheim, and that could limit the potential return that you're getting. Right. And and that's that's why, again, as I've mentioned many times before with the Sens, they were able to get pretty good value for Eric Carlson and Mark Stone. Why? Part of it is because they were in contract years. They didn't have any money or years attached to them after that one season. And whatever happens, happens after that. But you're not giving term and dollars to the team that you're trading them to at the time of the trade. Everything else happens later. With Travis Sanheim, you can't really do that. Now he's he's signed. He's got an extension. He has no trade protection on top of that. It's a risky play. I hope it pays off for them, but it, it could it could go south if he if he doesn't perform to their expectations. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, I think we we're in agreement that like the Sandheim and Samuelson one doesn't really make a ton of sense, but we'll see. I'm more I'm more optimistic in the Samuelson one, honestly. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess and, and, and that I, one. I, the the key thing for the Flyers is you need to get a guy that makes Perlfrog better and I'm not so sure if they really found that option yet since Niskanen retired. Yeah, I guess so. I I think it's more like from Samuelson's standpoint, it's more like so remember what we were critical of like remember when the Canucks signed like Beagle and um yeah. uh, what's Roussel? Uh, to long-term deals, it's like, I feel like it's that. It's like, yeah, I, I understand, like, they have a role, but to give them a long-term contract like that, it's like, I don't know. It, it feels it feels kind of silly. Um, Samuelson, by the way, was a second-round pick by the Sabres in 2018, 32nd overall. Wow. So um, it should, should be noted that uh, when he was drafted, you know, early – very early second round picks. So yeah, I guess so. But like, I, I guess it's like if you're signing him primarily because he's on the line with Darlene, fine. But like, you also have to sign. Like, this could get in the way of signing Darlene to what he's worth. <laughs> so yeah, potentially, and, and also it's like this is the this is the, this is the same Sabers team that has a long term contract to Jeff Skinner, a long term contract to Tage Thompson. It's like, and those are two different GMs, granted, but like, like, haven't they learned to not do that? Like, why are you doing long-term deals to all these guys? Like, even to this guy that like, yeah, he, he could be pretty good and is a reason why Darlene was able to have a career year, but, or breakout year, but still like, 
it's it, it does make sense. It's like, would you be like, because I'm I'm thinking back to when the Sens had Carlson and Mathot. Like, would you be up for uh, signing Mark Mathot for uh, this this contract? Um, well, because he makes Eric Carlson that much better. Uh, that's a tough question, honestly. Yeah, and the answer to me is no, you wouldn't. <laughs> but yeah, but fair. Okay. Anyways, um, so we have um, so yeah, we have eight awards that we're gonna get to now to do predictions. We also have a team to watch and a player to watch. And then um, I think like we, we did an episode towards the end of the season uh, when we didn't have other things to talk about where we, uh, we, we went back and figured out if these were accurate predictions or not or if this is going to happen or not. But uh, So it'll be fun to, I, I think we're going to keep track of it um, and uh, we'll put it in a lock case basically and um, we'll send it over. Um, I, so yeah, we have the Hart Trophy, the Rocket Richard, the Art Ross, the Vezina, the Norris, the Calder, the Jack Adams, and the Selkie. Um, and um, I have like, I kind of did it a weird way, I think, because like, I, for instance, the Hart Trophy, I, I think it's pretty clear that it's going to be McDavid, um, unless he gets injured or something like that. I, I think it's, it's going to be McDavid. But yeah. I have like another option of like, in case something happens i feel i feel like it's just boring if i say mcdavid and matthews and all that stuff so um the the exciting answer for me for the hard trophy is kirill kaprizov um i think um i mean he's already off to a great start he's in a better start than mcdavid is but uh yeah he has three points in two, two games i think it's like just in theory that i was thinking that like if if the Wilds are going to take a, a next step this year, um, and of course with the addition of like Boldy and Rossi um, and a few other guys too, I think like it makes sense that Kaprizov is going to be the the straw that stirs that drink um, out in Minnesota. And I I think like the big reason for that, and if the you know the Wild are going to be one of the better teams in the league, then it's going to be Kaprizov, um, and he's going to be that guy. Um, I, the thing is, is I don't know if you've noticed this, Steve, I didn't mention this, but, uh, the wild gave up seven goals in their, the two games that they played this time. So that needs yeah. to be better. Um, yeah. and right now I'm seeing that uh, Kaprizov has a minus five. Of course, it's still early. I wonder if they, maybe like they add in Jesper Walstead, um, uh, just to bring him up. He's probably not even ready, but I wonder if that's what they do. Um, but um, it's probably like we're probably a few months into the, uh, wondering that. But um, but I, I, <laughs> that is concerning that that's like seven goals a game. Uh, but anyways, at at any rate, assuming um, I made this prediction even before I, I the season started. So um, yeah, I I think uh, I think uh, Kaprizov is willing to to take the next step, and he could. You know, I guess he could end up being like the Art Ross guy in a similar way, which I guess, spoiler alert, I, I have him as the Art Ross, but um, as well. But I, I think it's, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's like, he's entering his prime and yeah, I think, I think he can do it. 
I'm assuming on between Kaprizov as well, and if he single-handedly carries Minnesota into the playoffs, especially when you consider that they lost Fiala and they're up against right. uh, the salary cap with the Suter and Parise bias, there's only so much that Minnesota can do to really improve their roster outside of what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to need to lean on Kaprizov a lot, and if he is head and shoulders uh, just carrying the team to victory and... At the rate they're giving up goals, yeah. I would hope that doesn't continue because uh, he can't do that. <laughs> yeah, he can't average eight points a game when uh, Steve's giving up seven goals per game. Like right. that's, that's unrealistic, straight up. Um, and if you look at um, if you look at Connor McDavid, I don't think he's going to win it either. Just because I don't know if you noticed, but the Edmonton Oilers, and I know it was against Vancouver and Calgary, but yeah, uh, not. their first couple of first periods were god awful yeah. like really yeah. really not good um and mcdavid was able to bail him out of one of them and they're able to bend down the hatches and make the other one close against calgary but they're not nearly as as good as what they're advertised true. in the first I will, two games I, however Minnesota's show. how yeah that's true i think jack campbell will eventually figure it out but maybe not right now but I will say, like, you do say that they've been god-awful. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but McDavid has five points in two games and four goals. So he, he, he's still, even though the, uh, the um, they're not doing, like, the Oilers may end up sucking, but uh, McDavid's still pretty good. He's yeah. Um, so I, uh, it's, it's tough for me to really go for those... I, I, I think it's a bit risky at this point, and I know it's still early for them to turn around. I'm going to go with Artemi Panarin just because what? of the structure around him. Uh, Vincent Trocek and Alexis Lafreniere are currently on the second line for the Rangers, and Panarin's actually tied with Crosby for the scoring lead. Uh, he has a goal, five assists, six points, um, and his shooting percentage is looking pretty good as well. Um he had a bit of a down year last year in terms of our Timmy Panarin level standards, and he's going to put the league on notice for that this year. So my vote is to Panarin. Are you, so so I guess you're admitting that these first – well, first off, he's played in three games and Crosby has played in two games. But uh, you're, you're basically admitting that this these first week has affected you. <laughs> like, would you have said – like, if we did this prediction last week, would you have said, said Panarin? Um, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty. Um, it, it played a bit of a factor. Okay, okay, fair. It definitely fair, played a bit fair. of a factor. Okay, fine. Um, but uh, I mean, just just a two way center with Vincent Trocheck there. I feel like there's stability for yeah. Panarin to, no, no, it's to a really good go off. I was just curious. And, yeah. No, 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 that's a yeah. fair point. I, I was just curious. And, and, you know, he was in the heart race uh, two years ago, so there, yeah, it, exactly. it makes sense. I think he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder yeah. based on the fact that the Rangers were successful last year, but I don't yeah. think he was as good as he's shown to be in previous yeah, years. Yeah. And uh, and and I think uh, I think uh, the stuff with uh, the background in Russia maybe affected him a little bit too. So Yeah, yeah that's possible. Uh, I, I think I think he'll be a very motivated player this year. Just yep. no, no, he definitely looks good these these uh, couple of games. So that, there's definitely something there. Um, all right, let's go to the Rocket Richard. Um, 
So this one is interesting because usually, so every like every season, I just go on a gambling site and uh, pick the just bid on the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup. It's just usually just one dollar. Um, I you know I, I it's just like a tradition I have. I do the same for the Patriots and the Red Sox. Um, but um, I um, uh, so yeah, I did that, and then I was just curious to see like all these different awards. And I noticed in the Rocket Richard that, of course, yeah, um, Austin Matthews, like, yes, he he's he's going to win the Rocket Richard. He has the best odds. I think it was like five to one at the time, or I think it was it might have been even lower. Um, but I was surprised to see that Pasternak is 21, 20 to one odds to win. Um, and it's like, yeah, I understand that Krejci has been out uh, for the you know he he's been out for the year and um in the czech league and um and all that stuff and um and the fact that like um you know the marchand may not be healthy the bruins may not be as good so i get it but uh pasternak is three years removed from winning uh winning the rocket richard himself in the 2019-2020 season i mean that was the season that i cut short because of COVID, but um, he had 48 goals in 70 games. Um, and like, even like last year, he kind of like had a slow start, but he still got going. He still had ended up with 40 goals. Um, and yeah, so I like, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Matthews again, although Matthews has a, has a uh, slow start as well, but I, I think especially since this is a contract year for Pasternak, um, and if, like, I, I know that it was in, like, I think Krejci mentioned that it was in his contract that he wanted to play with Pasternak, or that was the main reason why he signed with the Bruins, was so that he could play with his fellow country mate. Um, and so they're, they're probably going to be aligned. But even if that, that doesn't work, he's going to be on Bergeron's line. And so it's like, you know, I, I think it, it's only going to be better for him, especially like he has a ton to prove this year. Um, and I was, so I, I did put in, even though it's probably a waste of $5, I did put in uh, $5 bids to uh, for Pasternak to win the Rocket Richard this year. Um, and and maybe, it'll, maybe it'll pay for your Habs jersey. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, the weirdest thing. It's like... <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you won your bet, but at what cost? Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, damn it! Now I have to, I have to do this. But um, but yeah, it's uh, I I I I mean, I I guess this is a homer pick, technically speaking. But I I just found it like absurd that um he did it. But I, I also honestly think that he can he can do it this year. Um, but it's probably going to Matthews. So I, maybe I'm just like giving up before it's even started. <laughs> now Brett might expect me to go with Alice to bring it because I'm a homer as well, but sure. I'm not going to. I'm actually going to side with Brett and pick Pasternak as okay. well. And these first couple of games have nothing to do with it. It's more so the fact that the check line with Zaka and Krejci and Pasternak is currently intact on the second line, uh, according to Matt Porter. Uh, last update, October fifteenth. Yep. yep. That was the second line for the Bruins. And again, his old buddy David Krejci is back. Um, you have all those injuries to the Bruins with Brad Marchand being the main piece. 
apparently Jake DeBrusque is also day-to-day, so there's another offensive weapon that they're missing, at least for the short term. Um, you look at the top line of Hall, Bergeron, and Craig Smith, um, they're probably going to give the puck to Pasternak a lot. And at the end of the day, yeah, you could pick Austin Matthews, but you also have John Tavares and Mitch Marner that can right. score goals and William Nylander. And on Ottawa, you've got Alex Dabrinkit and Josh Norris and Brady Kachuk that can score goals. And even Tim Stutzla as well. He's got some pop, uh, some goal-scoring power in that stick of his. But if you're the Bruins and you need a goal, chances are you're giving the puck to Pasternak every chance you get. And that is why I'm picking him to win the Rocket Richard is because he is probably going to have the most chances out of anyone to score. And when you get more chances, you're most likely, especially with Pasternak's accuracy and release, to put the puck in the net. So I'm going with Pasternak as well. Yeah, um, I'm trying to see if I can find the odds. I guess you can't vote for them anymore, but... Um, I wasn't going to vote, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Un- unofficially, the, he's where's my... the Rocket Richard? Rocket Richard yeah. yeah, okay. I guess I can see the heart uh, odds. I can see the Vezina odds and the Calder odds, but I can't see anything else for some reason. Yeah. Whatever. I will say that McDavid will win uh, the Art Ross, though. That, yeah. That's, that's a slam, about as a slam dunk pick as you're going to get. Yeah, I have, I, I have a similar thing. I have McDavid winning the Art Ross, but I think... Because if I am gonna pick Kaprizov as the hard trophy, I think he has to win the Art Ross. So I have Kaprizov mm. winning the the Art Ross. Um, if, wow. Okay. If he okay. if he wins the Art Ross, I do like I I do this for everyone that I think I have McDavid winning, but I I figure like in this alternate universe where Kaprizov wins the hard trophy, Kaprizov's winning the Art Ross. Um, okay. Um, okay, so now uh, let's go with the Vezina here. Um, do you want to go with the Vezina? Who's your pick? You go first. I need some time to think about this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you already had. I thought you already no, had. No, I, 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 I've been toying with a couple of names in my head for the past couple okay. of hours. Yeah, yeah, this I still one. I haven't figured it out. That's how tough it is. Okay, okay, fine, fine. Um, yeah, this one's tough. Um, I, um, I, I mean, I think the obvious pick is Shesterkin. Like, there's nothing to say that he won't do the same thing again. Uh, but um, I, I ended up going with his fellow um, Russian counterpart part, and fellow New York counterpart, uh, Ilya Sorokin. Um, I, I think, um, I, I, I think there, like, I did mention this in the previews as well that I think he is like looking at like what Shesterkin was able to do last year and he had a pretty good season last year Sorokin did uh he had a 925 save percentage and a 240 GAA um but um he even got some Vezina votes but I think he is like looking at Shesterkin and being like wait a second I was supposed to be the guy uh that everyone is talking about not this Shesterkin guy so um, I, I think, um, and so far he's he's proving that point. He has a 941 save percentage and a 1.52 GAA. Um, he is one and one, but um, but yeah, I think I think Sorokin's also um, he he's going to going to win it. Um, and um, yep, uh, that that would be my pick. But um, I also was thinking maybe Markstrom. Um, or maybe Ottinger, but uh, but yeah, I think I'm I'm going with I'm sticking with Sorokin. 
Uh, I think I'm going to go with Shashirkin again. Okay. Um, I, I think we're going to see a repeat of that award, and there's going to be some close competition. I can see Vasilevsky and Sorokin, as you mentioned, being hot on his tail. Um, UC Saros has had a bit of a rough start, but I wouldn't rule him out just yet. I mean, yep. you look at how big of a difference he made for that national team. Uh, Tristan Jerry could be a notable adversary uh, as well for this award. And uh, there are a couple of other names that uh, I'm probably forgetting. But um, I think for the most part, you look at the Rangers defense, you look at their scoring, it's very balanced. But a lot of that ran through Igor Shashurkin. And he's going to be maybe not that much of a difference maker because last year he was phenomenal. Like, he was out playing out of his mind. Uh, so maybe he'll be a little less than what he was last year, but still darn good enough to win the Vesna. So I'm going with uh, Shashir King once again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not a bad pick. I mean, I technically have him as well, but yes, I know. Uh, Norris Trophy, do you want to take this one or... Or is this another one that you're having trouble? I'm going to go with Kale McCarr. Okay. Uh, just, just the way that uh, he dictates the play. Yep. Colorado's still freaking loaded offensively, defensively. Like, yep. uh, I think uh, it was in our email chat this yep. week, Brett, we were talking about how the Avalanche were rolling a secondary power play unit where it was pretty much all defense. Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was three defensemen. It was Gerard, Byram, and um, Taze. Um, Taves, yeah. But uh, yeah, but I, I think what what and then I forget who the uh, two forwards were, but I um, yeah, I thought that was interesting too because the the Avalanche are the only team that could probably get away with it, and it's probably just due to the fact that Landis Cog is out, and um, I would imagine once Landis Cog comes back in, then one of those forwards probably Nachushkin will will go to the power play too. Yeah, but even or then, looking. like you still have you still have McKinnon, you still yep. have Branton in on that team. Yeah, yeah. You have a young rising star in Alex Newhook as well. Yeah, uh, there's there's just a lot of weapons there. Makar is going to excel and thrive in that. So yeah, I I I think uh, there's not going to be that much separation between Makar in second place, and he's going to dominate once again. Yeah, I have uh, Makar as well. Um, I guess, like, this one's the one where, like, there isn't, like, there's a couple of ones that I could see beating out. I guess the honorable mentions, just to have it out there in the in the stratosphere, um, Rasmus Dahlin, uh, I think he could he could make another jump. That's there. an interesting one, not yeah. going to lie, that's an interesting but, one. But uh, I, I, I do have, I do think it's going to be Makar, but... Um, but the other one is is Rasmus Dahlin. I, I could see Cider emerging as a dark horse as Cider well on Detroit. One, yeah. I yeah. mean, the year that he had, if he continues to follow that yeah. up, like we'll look out. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like Yossi. Maybe he does another. He has another great season. Um, there was also um, Adam Fox. I was considering. Um, so that's yep. another one too. But uh, yeah, I, I was thinking like, okay, maybe if if it's not Makar, it's probably going to be Dahlin. Um, okay, um, Calder, uh, this one, it, it's like, you know, it's always so tough to see because, like, I don't think anyone really predicted Cider was going to, to do so well. Um, people did have Zegris, um, I did, um, and I think, uh, we all thought, like, Caulfield was going to win it. Um, this year, I think the, the guy who everyone thinks is going to get it is Matthew Beneers. 
That's because he's uh, slated to be the one seat center um, this year. He also had um, in his last in his ten games last year that he played, he had nine points. Um, he has a pretty good start um, already. He has four points in three games, um, so he is the front runner at the moment. And like, I don't think any other rookie is even close to like that type of deployment. So, uh, so yeah, he's definitely the front runner. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be a point per game player or more than point per game player. Uh, so I do think that's going to subside a little bit, but I would be, I, I feel like he is going to have the most points as a rookie. Um, and he's going to earn it. I, I think just, especially since like center is a tough position to play, uh, harder than it is for a winger. Um, not not as hard as a goalie or a defenseman, but like just the fact the added thing of like doing well on the faceoffs and all that stuff. Um, so I, I do think that Beniers is going to like I could see him getting like sixty points, and I think that would be re- really good for a rookie. Um, in terms of honorable mentions, uh, Mason McTavish. Um, he has a similar type of like he's probably gonna get some top six minutes. Um, but because like Strom and Zegras are there at center, I don't think he's going to be a, uh, a center, but he will probably be a winger, uh, which will be pretty good for them. Uh, William Eklund, I, I'm kind of like, you know, I guess just the fact that he's not playing in the, uh, NHL right now, it's a little bit tough, but I do think that he'll eventually, uh, once like it could be like a cool Caulfield type of thing where the second half, like he takes over and um and he like he just becomes like really really good um but like it will be one of those things where it's like oh Eklund if Eklund played a full year he would have gotten the 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 calder that's not the case um and then Marco Rossi's the other one that I was thinking of uh because he has um he has some potential although he apparently he's on like the fourth line now um, and I don't understand that really. Uh, like, if you're going to play Marco Rossi, like he he's kind of already he's much better than the centers that they already have, um, and he had a really good preseason. So I I don't really understand that. Maybe they're just trying to ease him in. But uh, Marco yeah. Rossi is the other one that I was thinking of. Is there anyone else that I didn't mention, or like, do you have like a a pick of who the Calder is? So um, I'm probably going to go with Beniers just based on all of um, the things that you just said. Um, the fact that he's the number one line yep. uh, option and that he's also a number one center, like that that checks off uh, two big boxes there. And uh, the fact that Burakovsky and McCann have gotten off to decent starts as well also yep. helps his case. Uh, McTavish is probably my solid honor- honorable mention as well. Um, but and it's probably gonna be a two-horse race between those two guys. But I think at, at the end, you're right. Veneers is probably gonna have the edge there. So yeah, I have it for the Calder too. Yep. Um. All right. Uh. Now we go to the Jack Adams. Um. Okay. I I don't know if you're ready or not. So like, <laughs> do you have a Jack Adams pick? Um. Who won it last year? Was it Galant? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not going to give it to John Cooper because, uh, I don't think he wants that curse. Uh, (laughs) yeah. 
Um, well, I don't think anyone wants that curse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not even not even uh, Jared Bednar. And, yeah. Uh, other than John Cooper, he's probably yeah, the best yeah, coach yeah. out of that group. Uh, oh, boy. See, this is a tough one because it could go to someone uh, who coaches, you know, a dark horse team into a playoff spot. Right. We've, we've seen that happen a couple of times. Well, that happens all the time, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Uh I'm gonna go with Mike Sullivan just because yep. he's uh, he's turned the hands of time one too many times, and he's probably gonna do it again with the group that he's uh, put out there. Uh, Pittsburgh looks like a well-oiled machine, and they're probably gonna have another good season ahead of them. And even if they're injured, he makes the most of those situations. And I think I picked Sullivan to win Coach of the Year last year. Uh, he's definitely at very least in the conversation, but yeah, he would he would be my guy this year. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, I guess, like, yeah, there's not, like, an obvious Jack Adams candidate. Um, but I do... Bruce Cassidy in Vegas could be up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, Especially you, the way they've started this year, too. You somehow did a spoiler alert. I was saying, like, there isn't an obvious one. But I do... and But, like, the, the reason why I'm not sure if he's going to get it is because he already has a Jack Adams, and they usually don't like to award, a, a, like, a, another jack adams like twice to the same coach twice um even if it is like a different team um so i i thought it like i feel like cassidy might be that the answer though having said that because like they already have to deal with like not having uh robin leonard um and like so now he has to deal with uh um eden hill and um what's his face uh logan thompson logan thompson yeah. Brian Brian hot Yeah, so so it's like that situation. Um and yeah, he has a good team, but Vegas didn't make the playoffs, so it's like also like the same kind of like uh game plan. They don't really have the space to improve yeah. cap wise either, too. True, so true. like he, basically the majority of this roster, they're they're stuck with it yeah, for yeah. the bulk of the season. The only reason why I'm not sure that he's a favorite is like I don't think anyone would be shocked if the Golden Knights make the playoffs. Um yeah. But, because they were banged up big right. to heaven and earth last year. They but, but I do think it would, like, you know, Cassidy is a good coach, and I do think that yes. he is going to have that. Uh, the other honorable mentions that I was thinking of is Lane Lambert um, of the New York Islanders. Yeah. Because um, that also fits the profile of, like, a guy, uh, like a team that, like, you know, you lose Barry Trotz, he's a very good coach. But then, and no one's really expecting the Islanders to do so well because they weren't great last year. And um, yeah, so then you you just add in Lee Lambert. um, And, you know, I guess there is that something of like, yeah, the Islanders did make the conference finals two years. And again, like no one would be shocked if the Islanders make the the playoffs. But first off, I have Sorkin winning the Vezina. So if that's going to happen, then I, 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 I figure Lambert's going to be, like, a big reason why that happens. And, um, yeah, I, I think there there is something that I, I – and it's, like, a tough division for the Islanders to make the playoffs, too. So yeah. even though I don't think I had the Islanders making the playoffs, um, yeah, I don't, um, looking at my predictions here. But Yeah, I did as a wild card. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but um, – but yeah, I, I do think that's... A, I'll give him an honorable mention um, as the Jack Adams there. Um, all right, Selkie. Um, this is a homer pick and also a favorite pick. 
I'm going with Bergeron. Um, I know this is going to be his last year, but I, I think he, uh, he's, he's going to do it. Um, I guess honorable mention is Barkov. Um, I wonder if it's like this could be the year that they give it to a winger. I'm not sure which winger it is, but I think that's been a thing where it's like a winger has never won it. Um, or like they're, they're like a winger hasn't won it since like, um, there's another, yeah, they typically give it to two way centers. Don't yeah, they? Yeah. But, um, I just couldn't think of like the two way center award. At that basically. Rate. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, uh, so yeah, I do have Barkov because that's the only other obvious one, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be Bergeron. Yeah, I'm going to do the opposite of what you did. Barkov's my guy, and okay. big honorable mention goes to Bertrand, oh, wow. but I think Barkov barely squeaks out the win this right. time. Interesting. Uh, just, just with the offensive weapons around with Florida, that's probably, uh, rightly or wrongly, that's going to impact uh, the voting just a little bit, and it'll be enough for Barkov to win. So, yeah, yeah. he's my pick. I will say, though, that like last year, Bergeron was like – I think Marshawn didn't play a full year. Um, he didn't have Pasternak on his line, and he was still like the best, like Selkie wise, um, in his career. So I don't know. It would be funny if yeah. Bergeron didn't, but if one of his line mates did. Oh, that would be crazy if Marshawn wins it or something. <laughs> the closest thing to a hard trophy, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that would be, be funny. Yeah. All right, now we have team to watch and player to watch. Um, so I'll, I'll go first with the team to watch. Um, I need a little bit more time for the player to watch because uh, we kind of came up with it last second for me, at the very least. Uh, but I'll, I'll say, because it would be, I mean, we've talked about this in the offseason. I guess it would be like the Calgary Flames and the Columbus just because of like the whole changeover and things like that. that it's fascinating. Yeah. Same with Seattle. But we've talked about them enough. That I I am I do want to spend some attention to another team to watch, um, and that is the New Jersey Devils. Um, I I am curious just to see. I mean, so far it looks like they still have goaltending issues, um, and uh, so that I, I'm wondering if that's going to end up being the case. But um, but yeah, both uh, both Vanacek and Blackwood don't look that great, but. They did add Andre Palat. Um, I, he hasn't shown anything so far, but we'll, we'll see. I expect Nico Heischer to take another step forward. Oh, that could be an interesting uh, Selkie guy. He, he's, uh, he's pretty good on the face-offs. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I'm interested in... Uh, I think Nico Heischer is going to take a step up. I think Jack Hughes is going to take a step up. Um, I'm intrigued by Dawson Mercer. Um and yeah, I, I'm just I'm just intrigued by this Devils team uh, because pretty much like I feel like if they get this goaltending set up, then they could be a like a potential wild card team or even like one of the top three in the Metro. Um, but like that's that's really the question: Are they going to figure out this goaltending situation? It doesn't even matter if it's Blackwood or Banachek; it, it just has to be one of them. And so I, I'm just curious to see how they do it. Um, and I wonder if they make a, a coaching change um, if they continue to struggle. I feel like Lindy Ruff is on the hot seat right now. Um, and, you know, it's like they're just one of those teams that I wouldn't be shocked if they're a playoff team. I also wouldn't be shocked if they're a lottery team. Um, and, yeah, I'd just be um, 
I, I, I feel like they're they're just a fascinating team just because it's like because those teams are like okay they may not be great on defense but they also have Jack Hughes and they also have Jesper Bratt they also have Nico Heischer and uh, Dougie Hamilton um, so so yeah I'm just curious to see how how the Devils do it this year yeah, that is that is a good team to watch. Uh, my team to watch is also in the Eastern Conference. It's the Detroit Red Wings. Right. Um, the reason I say that is because, uh, similar to the Devils, uh, they're goaltending. What are we going to see? Is it going to be good enough to be a playoff team? They also have a new coach, uh, Derek Lalonde, uh, former Tampa assistant. So uh, he's probably going to win uh, the Jack Adams someday, uh, just based on how good Eisman yeah. has been at picking his guys. Yeah, that's um, yep. Their defense is interesting. I mean, you obviously have more Cider with a couple of years left on his deal. You have uh, Philip Aronek with two years left before he's an RFA. Ben Sherratt, you signed to that four-year deal. Uh, the rest of the defense, it's filled out by Oli Matta, Jordan Osterley, and uh, Robert Haig, uh, as well as Gustav Lindstrom. So you're not really sure what you're going to get there. Nadelkovic and Yuso are your two goalies. They have potential to uh, form a solid tandem. Um, and whether or not they can is going to determine, for the most part, how far the Red Wings can go. Uh, you have depth guys like Robbie Fabry, assuming he's healthy, um, that uh, could make impacts. Jacob Varana had a shortened season last year. I'm interested to see what he could do. Uh, Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi are entering UFA season, so yep. that should be noteworthy to keep in mind. Uh, they brought in Kubelik and uh, Pius Suter as well. Uh, and, of course, you have uh, the likes of Lucas Raymond uh, leading the charge offensively. There's also one guy I quickly want to shout out, and he is a rookie, and maybe you've already done that in the Detroit Red Wings preview, Brad. Have you ever heard of this guy named Elmer Soderblom? Um, I have... But I, I knew you were going to say it, but I don't think we mentioned him on the on the show. Okay. Can you guess how tall he is? Um, six, five. 6'8". Wow, wow. And he weighs 246 pounds. Jeez. He is only 21 years old. And back in 2019, yes, the year they took more cider... They got this dude in the sixth round. Wow. <laughs> He's 6'8 at the age of 21 right now. Last year in a league amongst men, the Swedish Hockey League, 21 goals, 33 points in 52 games, along with six points in nine playoff games. Uh, and uh, he's played two games in the NHL, and he's actually already picked up his first NHL goal. So right. congrats to Elmer uh, for that. I'm really interested to see what his development is like if yep. he – uh, find to spawn the lineup long term. So just for the sake of, will they re-sign this guy? Will they not re-sign this guy and trade him and get futures for right. him? What's their goaltending and defense going to be like? And ultimately, are they a playoff team? I'm picking uh, tabs on the Red Wings 24-7. Yeah, the, uh, the Red Wings are kind of similar to the Devils too, where it's like they have a good forward group. They have a good defensive group. Uh, they made a lot of moves in the offseason. Yeah, and, and Perron, they also added. I'm interested yeah. to see how those guys do as well. But, like, the big question is, is, like, okay, will their goaltending work? It, what What's going on? And so far for the Devil, uh, for the Red Wings, it, it is working for them. 
Uh, but we're even, also waiting for yeah. Sedina to catch fire and score all the goals against the teams that right, right. Them. I'm he's a healthy scratch. I'm I'm kind of losing faith in it. Um, <laughs> well, that's not a good start either. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. So far, the goaltending has been good. Surprisingly, Nedeljkovic has um, he started off really good. But uh, yeah, uh, Billy Huso shut had a shutout, so I think that that's good too. But uh, hasn't hasn't so far been the case for the Devils. But yeah, they're I guess they're both pretty similar teams in that sense. Um, all right, player to watch. Who's your player to watch? Um, I was him and hawing between a couple of players. I'm going to go with Matt Boldy simply because I'm, we're not really sure where he is slotted in the lineup. If you look at uh, Matt Boldy's offensive numbers, uh, it's actually been arguably the best on the team. I remember they were losing, I think, 5-1 to the Rangers, and then in the third period he just bang, bang, two goals back of the net. And uh, then he's uh, also able to contribute offensively uh, in terms of um, in terms of uh, the uh, wild game against the Kings where they lost 7-6. to six. Right. Um, Boldy was, uh, again, doing stuff offensively. Two goals, two assists in his first two games is the actual stat line. Uh, averaging 19-20 per game. Yet, on the latest line combination, maybe this is just for the practice thing, just seeing have, uh, just just basically seeing uh, what they have um, at other positions. They currently have him on the third line with Sam Steele as the center and Freddie Goudreau at left wing. And Boldy is the right wing option on line three. But I could argue that Boldy could be good enough to play on a line with Joel Erickson at consistently but also on the top line with Kirill Kaprizov. Um, and just the way they utilize him, the hot start that he's been on, what he was able to do last year, uh, if I have to pick one player to watch this year, it's him. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, my player to watch is, well, first off, two years ago when we did this thing, I, I picked Jack Hughes, and then he had his breakout the following year. Um, <laughs> then last year I picked Tyler Sagan, so far, that that's looking pretty good, but uh, not not that year I picked him. Uh, this year, I guess I do have the benefit of the fact that I've already like a week has already gone in while I've been doing this. But um, I'm gonna pick Brock Besser. Um, no, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good. Yeah, one. I uh, I'm curious to well, first off, I'm not necessarily. I guess when you when we do players to watch, it's just like a team that's or someone that's gonna be interesting. I'm not sure exactly if I could like predict how many points he's going to get but I I think it's like last year he had 46 points in 71 games that was also like there was news that came out after the season where he was dealing with his dad also like the Canucks were a mess in the first half so um so that that might have something to do with it but even still like he had uh the in the bubble year he had 49 points in 56 games um and 23 goals he matched that this this past year, um, and uh, in in twenty three goals. So I am curious just to see. And it's also I think he's uh, is he a free agent this year? Um, he might be. No, he's, he's oh, signed he signed in the offseason a three year extension. That's right. So that's right. They're good on that front. So so I, I am curious just to see how he um, yeah how he deals with like I'm sure like he's still affected by his the death of his dad. Um, as anyone would be, but I am just curious just to see how he, how he does like uh, now, um, 
just while he's like he's waiting. Um, yeah, he's, he's just an interesting player. Uh, he already has two assists um, in two games, uh, 17 minutes of ice time. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm just curious just to see. I guess I'm interested in all the players under Bruce Boudreau in a full year. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I'm particularly interested in Brock Besser just to see how, um, how he does. Yeah. Um, well, and also to find out uh, maybe what center he has chemistry yeah, with. Because you have to keep in mind, the Canucks have three pretty good centers, yeah. at worst, decent centers. Yeah. JT Miller on the top line, Elias Pearson currently on the second line, and Bo Horvath, the captain, on the third yeah. line. Besser is currently paired on the top line with JT Miller, while Hoglander's with Peterson and Connor Garland's with Bo Horvat. So does the chemistry with, you know, Yep. center a or center b or center c determine where he slots into the lineup as a first second third line option yep. where is he best served in terms of offense uh in that in that system as well that's another thing that makes him so intriguing as well because yep. i've seen him in other places outside of the first line he hasn't always been that slam dunk first line option yeah yeah the, like the whole center situation it's funny because then uh cap friendly uh, I looked at their depth chart and I noticed that Elias Pedersen is the third line center. And it's just like, wait a second, that can't be right. And so then I look at daily face off and they have Pedersen, Peterson at, as a second line center. It's like, oh, that makes some sense. But then it's just yeah. like, yeah, you're right. It's like they have these three centers. Um, and yeah, they, like, you know, maybe if Besser doesn't, um, I don't know where where daily faceoff or cap friendly get their their um their sources for these lines but probably on twitter yeah probably they on just, twitter right they just see a line yeah. just like yeah that guy see that guy's credentials check out yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah Valid. um but um but yeah so i um yeah i i guess that is a good point though it's like but i i don't know i wouldn't be like I wouldn't be thrilled if like Brock Besser's with Bo Horvat on the third line, or even better if Ben Peterson ends up being on the third line. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily great, um, but I, I I feel like Besser's better than Hoglander and Garland. I I, I do like Garland. Um, Hoglander I'm not convinced just yet, but um, yeah. but I feel like Besser should be on the first line. It's just yeah, if he gels with J T Miller, I guess that's that's the question. Yeah. Um, all right, that about does it here. Um, I'm gonna watch this Bills Chiefs game. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, that's about it for us. Um, you can follow us on on uh, on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also listen to us and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We will talk again in episode 339 of the Lace Em Up podcast.